0: Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about the difference between bring and take with some interesting asides about dialect. Then we'll talk about the word gamut and the queen's gambit. And finally, I'll have a familect story for you. And speaking of familects, last week I was interviewed in a story for The Atlantic about familects, and I mentioned some of yours. If you're listening, Renee from Monterey, your Stanley situation story made it in, so you might want to check it out. Again, it's in The Atlantic, and the article is titled Why We Talk More Weirdly at Home. You should be able to find it by searching online. Today's first topic is bring versus take. A lot of listeners have asked me to talk about this over the years. Here's a recent caller.
1: Hi, Grammar Girl. This is Sue Burns from Clive, Iowa, and I heard your recent podcast about um, borrow and lend and how people tend to get those confused, and it reminded me of something that may or may not be equivalent to that. Um Years ago, I was renting a room to a woman from France for the summer, and she was telling me about a bunch of her coworkers who were going to go out to the lake and have a cookout and a picnic and she said that one of her coworkers was going to bring her to the lake. And that just sounded wrong to me, but I couldn't really explain why. With borrow and lend, the person providing whatever it is is always the lender lending something, and the person receiving whatever that is is always the borrower borrowing. But with bring and take, I'm kind of confused. So if I am going to give a ride to a party to a friend, am I Bringing the friend to the party, or am I taking the friend to the party? Um, Love your show.
0: Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks, Sue. I'll start with the basics and then get to why these words can be tricky. And then I'll tell you about some interesting variations in Ireland and the Southern United States. Whether you use bring or take generally depends on your point of reference for the action. You ask people to bring things to the place you are, and you take things to the place you're going. One listener named Simone put it, You bring things here and take things there. You ask people to bring things to you, and you take things or people to other people or places. You ask someone to bring you coffee, and you take the dog to the dog park. You ask people to bring you good news, and you take your camera to the beach. For example, I could ask Aardvark to bring Squiggly to my house Friday— if Fenster later asks Ardvark to go fishing that day, Ardvark would decline with disappointment and say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I promised to take Squiggly to Grammar Girl's house Friday. Ardvark would always rather go fishing. So I'm asking Ardvark to bring Squiggly because I'm at the destination—my house. From my perspective, Ardvark is bringing someone here. Aardvark is saying he has to take Squiggly because he's transporting someone to a remote destination. From Aardvark's perspective, he's taking someone there. Here are two more examples that help me remember. First, think of a restaurant where you can get food to go. It's often informally called getting takeout. Imagine yourself paying at the counter. When you get takeout food, you're moving the food from your location, the restaurant, to somewhere else, a destination. And it's takeout food, not bring-out food. You're taking the food from the restaurant to a destination, out. Probably your house, but maybe to a park or a friend's house. Second, if I'm sitting home feeling lazy and wishing dinner would appear, I might say, I wish someone would bring me dinner. I think of calling some service like Uber Eats or DoorDash that goes to restaurants and gets food for people. From my perspective, they will bring me dinner because dinner is coming to my location. But the simple rules fall apart when, as Garner's Modern English Usage puts it, the movement has nothing to do with the speaker. Do you describe your French friend's coworker as bringing her to the cookout at the lake or taking her to the cookout at the lake? It simply depends on where you want to place the emphasis of the sentence— which perspective you want to adopt if you want to focus on the cookout and write from the perspective of the lake you say they brought her to the cookout imagining everyone at the lake in the future if you want to focus on the here and now and write from the perspective of home then you say they'll take her to the cookout which puts the focus on taking her away from your home it's really all a matter of how you imagine the situation and where you want to put the perspective or emphasis Now, you might say that since your French friend is the speaker, she should use take because she's being taken away from your house, but even that isn't so simple. Here's another example. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage says you can use either bring or take when the notion of direction is irrelevant to the audience or if someone is imagining they are in another location. For example, if I'm planning a trip and I say to Squiggly, we should bring sunscreen to the beach. Using bring suggests I'm already imagining myself at the beach. If I'm more engrossed in packing my tote and still fully mentally at home, it might be more appropriate to say, let's take sunscreen to the beach. And because people don't know what I'm imagining, it's actually fine to use either bring or take. If you want to be especially deliberate, you can use one or the other to place emphasis on one location or the other, here or there. Since your French friend used bring, maybe she was already imagining everyone at the cookout. Now, she probably didn't make such a conscious decision, but usage guides wouldn't say her use was wrong. As an aside, in some dialects, the past tense of bring is brang or brung—brung and brung appears in the saying, dance with the one that brung you, which appears to have originated from a song in the 1920s and has been used by politicians who wanted to justify being loyal to the people who helped them get elected. It's said to have been one of Ronald Reagan's favorite sayings, for example. But if you want to use standard English, the past tense is brought, as in "Ardvark brought me a fish— or dance with the one that brought you, which is the title of a Shania Twain song. And yes, some people would argue that should be the one who brought you, but that's a topic for another day. Another interesting note is that the words come and go follow rules that are similar to those for bring and take. Come is like bring—you ask people to come here, to come to where you are. Go is like take you tell people to go away, to move away from your location. Squiggly and Ardvark will come to my house, and when Ardvark says he can't go fishing, he'll say I have to go to Grammar Girl's house. If you're listening from somewhere in the southern United States, you might be thinking, what about carry? Because people in that region sometimes use the word carry instead of bring or take. For example, you might hear someone ask, can you carry me into town if they need a ride? or I'm going to carry her to the Dance Friday to talk about a date. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, this use of carry to mean to conduct someone or to escort someone goes all the way back to the 1500s, but it's obsolete now except in dialects, as in the American South. And finally, here's an Irish twist. A number of people have told me that Irish speakers handle bring and take differently Apparently, Irish speakers use bring in more circumstances than American or British speakers would. For example, Wikipedia says that an Irish speaker would think it's fine to say bring your umbrella with you when you leave, even though the American and British rules would favor take in that sentence. Gaelic has words that are roughly equivalent to bring and take, bear and tog, but the meanings aren't exactly the same. Bear can mean bring and take, and tog means take, but it can also mean collect, build, and lots of other things. According to a commenter on the blog going by Simbad, in Irish, take has more to do with transferring possessions than changing location. To summarize, there are interesting exceptions to the rules, but in the simplest sense, if you're using American English or British English, remember that when the locations are clear and you are the speaker— You ask people to bring things to you and your location, and you take things to other people and other locations. And thanks to Stan Carey, an Irish writer who helped me with the Irish section. Any errors are my own, but he pointed me in the right direction. Of all the shortages of things on store shelves and online shopping sites during 2020, one of the most unexpected was chess sets. It made sense that there was a run on food staples and toilet paper when people were locked down or quarantined in their homes, but chess sets? It appears the popularity of the Netflix miniseries The Queen's Gambit caused the sudden, overwhelming demand that outpaced the supply of a game that has been around since the 6th century. But one of the benefits, aside from more people learning how to play chess, is that now we can more easily understand and remember the word gambit. The Queen's Gambit was based on a novel of the same name, written by Walter Tevis in 1983— It's a story about an orphaned girl who became a chess prodigy and top player around the world. The title for that fictional tale is borrowed from a strategic move some players use at the beginning of a chess game. In chess, a gambit is an opening move, where a player starts the game by purposely sacrificing a piece—usually a pawn—in order to gain an advantage over an opponent. There are many gambits in the game of chess, some of which are named after people, places, and even animals—elephants. Others, such as the queen's gambit, are named after chess pieces. And in that particular gambit, the pawn in front of the queen is moved two spaces, and then the pawn in front of the bishop next to the queen is moved two spaces. The goal is to gain control of the chessboard. But gambits aren't limited to chess, and they don't have to involve a sacrifice. In other areas, gambit has a sense of simply being an opening maneuver or something you do to gain an advantage. People might employ gambits in business or politics, for example. One could say there are a gamut of gambits. The word gamut refers to an entire range or scope of something The etymology of gamut can be traced back to a musical context where it referred to a complete range of notes or pitches. But just as the word gambit isn't limited to chess, gamut isn't limited to music. Some of the more common usages of gamut are when people refer to a range of emotions or colors. Computer monitors and digital screens are even described as having a specific color gamut, For example, a fancy monitor may be described as having a wider color gamut than an older or less expensive model. Even though they sound similar, the words gambit and gamut have two very different meanings. Another word that contains most of the same letters as gambit also has a somewhat similar meaning. That word is gamble. Both a gambit and a gamble can involve risking losing something— However, those two words are not interchangeable because, unlike a gambit, a gamble is a risk where if you lose what you've risked, then you don't gain an advantage. Also, a gamble is taking a chance, and a gambit is employing a strategy. As a way of remembering the meanings and differences of the words gambit, gamut, and gamble, think of the game of chess. People can gamble on chess by placing bets on who will win— Chess players employ gambits to gain an advantage, and there are a gamut of gambits that players can use. That segment was written by Brenda Thomas, a freelance writer and online educator. Finally, I have a family story.
1: Yes, I just read an article about you and your podcast, and I couldn't help but think of the uh, the thing that we have in our house that most people don't have is the sweepy thing. And that's a little uh, broom butler or something like that, I think they call it, where you have the smaller, shorter broom along with the dustpan that has a handle on it the same height. And I could never remember what it was called, so I always called it the sleepy thing. And so <laughs> my boys, my oldest son is a lawyer, and he started at his first law office, and he accidentally dropped a glass and broke it. And he was, he said, oh, where's the sleepy thing? <laughs> It's like, who can do this? Is you a broom? <laughs> but anyway, we still call it the sleepy thing. So I, I had to think of that story when I read about you talking about family dialect. That's, that's one of our many things, sleepy thing. It's pretty descriptive, though. Thank you.
0: Thank you. That made me laugh. If you want to call with your family word story, you can leave a voicemail at 833214GIRL, and I might play it on the show. And be sure to tell me the story because that's always the best part. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find articles that go with each podcast segment at my website, quickanddirtytips.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl and on TikTok as The Real Grammar Girl. I've been posting videos two or three times a week. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sims, and that's all. Thanks for listening.